0: The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. All right, everyone. Happy Monday. This week, we have a guest. Her name is Dr. Shelby Tesser, and I was able to connect with her through Pacific Dental Services. At their CAD CAM boot camp that I did in California in October, if you remember me talking about that. She was one of the two dentists that was leading the workshop for us about CEREC and 3D scanning. And I asked her to be on the show, and she said yes. I was very, very grateful of that. She's a younger dentist, and she's super successful. She just started up her own practice, and we talk about that process of starting up her practice. We talk about how it was starting it up. In the middle of COVID, something she didn't really see coming. Of course, no one did. And also her relationship with Pacific Dental Services, how she came to work with them after graduating dental school, what her career search was like to find an associateship, and then eventually how she knew she was ready to get into ownership. those are all topics we're going to cover in this week's episode. I don't have much of a weekly recap for you because I am still on break. I'm currently in Florida for the holidays visiting my parents and my sister is here too, so we're having a really great time. But with a quick short intro, let's get right into the conversation with Dr. Shelby Tesser. Hi everyone! So we have another guest today, and I'm going to let Dr. Shelby introduce herself a little bit.
1: So hi, I'm Dr. Shelby Tesser. I am um, the owner of Aurora Dentist Office in the lovely Denver, Colorado. I opened my practice this last year uh, in 2020, right before world pandemic. So that was pretty crazy. Um, but before that, I had graduated dental school. At the University of Iowa College of Dentistry and Dental Clinics in 2018. And then I went on to get a job as an associate out here. And then I had the opportunity to start my practice.
0: Nice. So I think first we're going to kind of backtrack earlier in your dental process, chat a little bit about dental school, and then get into some of the nitty gritty that comes with starting up your practice. So first thing I want to chat about was Is there anything that comes to mind that you did during dental school that you feel like is helping you now? Any ways that you got involved or learned beyond the curriculum? Yeah, I
1: think I wish actually now I had taken more advantage of a lot of the clubs and everything that was present. Um, However, I do think a lot of the things I did do were like actually getting to know all of the people in the school. First and foremost, because getting to know all of your classmates and especially like upperclassmen was super helpful, I was able to get study guides from them um, and just kind of understand how classes worked. I think as someone who doesn't have family members who are in dentistry, I was kind of going in blind personally and was just trying to like stay afloat for a lot of it instead of like thrive, like a lot of my other classmates were able to initially. Um, and then I really came into my own, like my third and fourth year, but those first two years, like just really having upperclassmen to talk to and really like, I guess, run ideas off of and, um, let me know that everything's okay. And my feelings were valid, um, was super helpful. I also listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, so this is great. And why I'm so happy to be on this one, um, and kind of give back to this kind of area because Listening to podcasts kind of made me see the world outside of just dental school.
0: Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Once I figured out that there's so many practice ownership topics and everything available to us just through podcasts, I was like, "This is awesome."
1: Yeah, and it made you see like the the light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
0: Like,
1: isn't actually going to be my life forever. Like all of these tests, all of this, this isn't how things are going to be you know, taking four appointments for a crown, or, you know, that's not how things are going to be someday. And um, I think that was super enlightening to me that, yes, there are reasons we have to learn things this way in dental school, but ultimately, like, life is going to be easier eventually.
0: That is always reassuring for me to hear as a student, so I appreciate that. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for dental students that are just graduating looking for their first associate job and maybe what to look for when it comes to offers and contracts and everything? Yeah. So, I mean,
1: contracts and offers, like I can go into a little bit more, and more my story and what happened as far as um, my initial, when I had first gotten my first job offer and what happened there like non-compete causes. Um because if you don't end up liking that place and they stop you from going anywhere for the next 20 miles, that is just not, I mean, that's not kind or <laughs> reasonable for anybody. Um, and I would say like how your pay structure is is super important. Like not just how much you're being compensated, but how that's happening is super important. And I would just highly suggest getting a lawyer involved. Honestly, like that's how I was able to see a lot of the red flags. You really, as a dental student, can't know everything that's hidden within these contracts. And they will hide a lot of stuff, unfortunately. And so having someone there that's going to back you up, like pay that money. It is worth every single penny. I'm so glad I did it.
0: And when it comes to finding actual roles that are out there, did you go through like local dental societies? I know you ended up with Pacific Dental Services. Did you like check on their website? What was your job search like? It everywhere.
1: So I'll just start from the beginning. And then since we're getting into this topic. So when I was looking for a job, I knew I wanted to be out in Denver, Colorado. I lived in Iowa my whole life. I love Iowa. And it was like, it's home, but I needed to get out and just Explore the world, right? And so I had this idea, like, "Okay, I'll go out there for a few years. I'll see what's going on, and then from there, um, maybe I'll move back and start my practice in Iowa. Who knows, right?" So when I was looking for jobs initially, I looked at the you know Colorado Dental Association websites. I was looking at the ADA. I think I got so many magazines from Dental Town. I looked on there. Um, I looked everywhere, and I applied absolutely everywhere. I applied on LinkedIn. I applied. Like, I'm not kidding everywhere. And that's what I would do on my weekends was look for jobs in Denver. Problem is, is everybody wanted someone who had at least two years experience or an AGD or TPR. And I just felt like I was ready to get out and start working. So from there, once I actually was out here for an externship, I had, um, I think the place that I found the job that I initially had gotten a contract with, which is a private practice in Longmont, um, I think through them, I think that was through the CDA website. So those are very helpful resources. Um, so, whatever state dental association, you can find those. Um, however, from there, what ended up happening was I went through the whole interview process, and that was the job that I chose, and everything was great. And then from there had um, gotten a job offer from a job in Longmont, Colorado. And we ended up really liking each other. Like it seemed like a dream come true. I love the practice. I love how everything worked out. I found out why the last for anything wrong with the practice, which is a super important thing when you are looking for a job to figure that out. Because if the dentist leaves because they're not busy enough, right? It's a huge red flag. So from there, I ended up, taking this job. And my lawyer essentially said this contract is the worst contract I had ever seen. And I was like, no, John, this is my ticket out to Denver. Nobody thinks I can get a job out there. I haven't been able to get a job out there. What this is what I need to do. And he was like, okay, well, I'll see what I can do to make it work. But I really don't think that we're going to be able to change this much. And it was super disheartening at that time, because I thought, this was my ticket out there. This was the only way I was going to get to Denver and get a job before graduation. So what then happened was a bunch of changes. I sent it back to that dentist and he came back and said that the contract that they sent back to us was even worse. And that was super disheartening. So they eventually came back um, and gave me, um, I told them that I just was unhappy with that and that they had promised me they would make some changes and they didn't. And the dentist came back and called me as I was actually out in Denver looking at apartments and said, we think you're ungrateful and we are pulling the contract. And it was the the worst moment of my life, right? That I thought at that time, but it ended up being the best moment um, for me in the long run. Because who, I mean, I wouldn't want to work for somebody who could do that to somebody and wasn't willing to have open communication and having those communication styles. It's so important. And the fact that he just called me ungrateful and pulled it, I mean, that showed me who he actually was as a boss.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it, it was crazy. And it was really hard, especially I think as young females, we are constantly told just be grateful for every opportunity, you know, be grateful for this. Don't be, don't push back too hard don't act like you know you deserve more you you get what you deserve if you work hard enough for it right and then to be told that was just really really painful at the time but i was lucky enough that i had a lawyer and somebody that was looking out for me in that situation and i realized that a lot of these i mean everybody's looking out for themselves in these situations And I need to also look out for myself by having that lawyer there to protect me and look at those things Um, because I am so trusting and I probably would have just signed it otherwise. Um, So I was really grateful I did that.
0: And I have a couple quick questions following up to that story, what you went through there. So first thing, Thinking about when you were just looking for the jobs, how early in your D4 year did you start putting in applications?
1: The problem is, is a lot of people in dental school don't know what they want. I think that is really what you have to figure out initially. Like, I didn't know exactly where in Denver I wanted to be. The problem was, is I was actually like trying to apply like so early, like my early in my D4 year. And I was just applying everywhere in the Denver metro area. Right. And then finding out like later on, when I got out of here, like where was it that I actually wanted to be? Um, and also places were coming back and being like, well, we actually need someone in like six weeks. We don't need someone in, in a year from now, or, you know what I mean? Eight months from now. So it's really hard. I think like the spring is the best time. I mean, like, sorry, not the spring. I think the winter right before, Like, so December, January, that's probably the best time um, to start really looking because a lot of those job opportunities that you get will probably be gone by the time you graduate, unless it's somebody who's really planning. But the thing is, is that they don't know what's going to happen in their practice usually that far out. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I have heard, like you said, most places want people pretty quickly. So you don't want to apply too early. And then like you also said, if it's maybe a private practice doc, that's like planning for the future. I've heard circumstances where someone thinks they have something lined up, but it was never officially contract signed. And then it falls through because the owner docs like, no, it's just not going to work at this time. So I get that. (laughs) And I actually
1: had another guy I had interviewed with who uh, that was after this Longmont deal had, had fallen through. I had then gotten connected through... Actually, somebody through a night DDS who was out here, she contacted me with her childhood dentist and he was looking for somebody to eventually, you know, take over his practice. And he was like 79, had recently had a heart attack the year before, um, was out of the practice for like three months and he would not give up control of his office. He, during the interview, he even told me that he had just interviewed Somebody or had had somebody working in his practice for two weeks, like the last month before I had met him, and that he ended up firing him. And I was like, "Well, what happened? What was wrong with him?" He's like, "I don't really think it was him. It was me. I just wasn't ready." Jeez. So I'm like, "Why? <laughs> why are you ready now? You're not yeah. ready." And yeah. this, sometimes you'll run into what I call them. I call them the Peter Pan's of dentistry uh, because they don't want to give up their practice. They want to stay there forever. And the fact is, eventually your body does give out. And if you're not preparing for the future, those practices aren't going to have anybody to support them.
0: Mm -hmm. I get that. And I think people have to look at it for the sake of their patients. Like as much as Mm -hmm. you maybe love being there, you have to think about what's best for your patients and their long-term care. Like you're not going to be able to provide that forever.
1: Exactly, And at one point he had a patient came in with a cracked cusp and was like, yeah, you know, I think I, I, there would have been a time he's like, this is why I really want someone in here because yeah, I really should probably crown that tooth, but you know, today I'm a little tired and I don't really want to do it.
0: Yeah. That's so, scary.
1: <laughs> this is why it's so important when you're looking for a job, like you need to be picking up on every single little cue that they are telling you. Right, if mm-hmm. that's the mindset that that dentist has, then that's how your practice is run right now. So if you come in and you actually start diagnosing true dentistry, every patient is going to say, "I don't really want to work with you, I want to go back to Dr you know Johnson or whoever you know because they're not telling me what's wrong with my teeth, and they're letting me just watch things and they're not actually. Um, pushing me to do the things that
0: I need. Yeah. I've heard that in a lot of pr- practice transitions too, that patients leave because they're like, I've been coming here twice a year for 10 years and I've never had a single cavity. And now you're telling me I have five. It's like, well, they just weren't diagnosing exactly pro- properly. Yeah. it's really sad. And
1: it's really scary too, as a dentist. And I think we have a great profession. 99% of dentists aren't that way, right? But there are a few and you're just kind of baffled at times of and you have to come in and now clean up that mess. And it happens even when you when I get new patients into my office that they've moved from somewhere they had their dentist for 20 years and now we're looking at, you know, so many issues that have never been dealt with, you know, undiagnosed sleep apnea that are leading to crack crowns and all sorts of other issues that need to be addressed. And I You know, sometimes some patients are very receptive to it, but some of them are just so confused why a dentist is concerned about their health.
0: Yeah. And I think like we were saying, some people have like this perception of the dentist that we kind of have to try to change if people are like, they just want our money. If they diagnose anything, I don't really need it. I think it's really important to be a strong communicator and educator so patients can actually understand why they need treatment.
1: Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned um, was when you're in dental school, you diagnose sometimes to save the patient money, right? And, and it's, it's because of the populations we're working with, we're really trying to just do sometimes a lot of patchwork stuff, um, pushing things off to the next year, right? And what ends up happening though, is when you are in private practice or, you know, in whatever model that you're in, when you're not in a school situation, you actually get to see that work come back and the failures happen. And it's very eye opening and very humbling. And now, what I've learned is I want to plan long term dentistry. I don't want to be fixing my work that I did two years ago. I want to be doing the best thing for the patient. Because if you ask a patient if they would rather, do something once and have it last 10 years, or do something and it's going to last them two years, and then you're going to have to go back in and do it again for them and do that first option anyway. What do you think the patient's going to choose in a day?
0: Yeah, that first option, just doing it correctly.
1: <laughs> exactly. So it is really eye opening once you actually are out in practice. And I think that's the biggest tip I could give somebody when they are in dental school is really start or when they start their career is to start planning long-term really doing what's best for the patient and for yourself eventually. Cause that's really stressful when you have failures come back and you are doing things that are herodontics and then they don't work out and patients do not realize how long, um, a guarded prognosis is when they say, when we say guarded prognosis, they think five years. And that's not what we mean. Right. So mm-hmm. being very direct with patients and being very clear with them is huge for the success of your future practice.
0: And I guess while we're talking about treatments, for people that don't know, Dr. Tester and I got to meet when she was teaching a CAD CAM workshop through PDS that I got to attend. And I just wanted to talk about how, upon graduating dental school, did you personally go about learning um, new procedures, procedures, maybe picking up your speed or just new techniques like digital dentistry?
1: Yeah, I think mentorship was key in all of this. I mean, you've met Dr. Katie McKinley and she has helped me so much and has mentored me a ton. And I just threw myself into every opportunity possible when I was new, I, um, while I still had my guarantee I wanted to work six days a week. Um, Not every single weekend was I working, but I was working the majority of them. Um, And I was able to get in so many repetitions. And I really had to rely on my staff, but I didn't let them do everything for me. And I think that's really crucial because a lot of dentists will get into a mode where their dental assistants do everything for them. And then now they don't know how to do anything. I mean, I just coached a doctor last weekend who is 10 years out and she's now having to relearn how to do quite a bit of stuff because her assistants had done everything for her. Um, As far as CE courses, I love Dawson and Spear. Um, I actually, a lot of study clubs, like, so Spear study clubs in the community And it helps me meet other dentists, other specialists in the area. Um, So that has been really crucial. And then I think just saying yes to every opportunity. When I first started my, literally my first week, I had known that Dr. Katie McCann was teaching implant courses. And I had also heard from another colleague that there was a list for it. So I was like, okay, you know, it's my first week, but I want to make sure I get on this list. So I'm going to go tell her that I want to take this implant course. And her response was great. Um, I will sign you up. It's in like three months. And I was like, wait, I thought there was like, a you know, a list. And she's like, yeah, but you're my associate. So I'll just, you know, I'll make a spot for you so that you can take the course. I just need, um, you know, this amount of money by tomorrow. Can you do that? And of course I just moved to Denver, used all of my money to move out here and had to call my mom and ask her for money so I could take the CE course. but you know, making things work. And of course I paid my mom back. Right. Um, once Mm -hmm. (laughs) I first paycheck, um, but it, it was, I could have easily at that moment said, Oh doc, I'll just take the next one. I'm really not ready for that right now because I really probably wasn't necessarily ready. Um, because I didn't have a patient base yet. I really had to struggle a lot more to find patients for, the course because um, we needed like twenty implants for it. However, I am always in this mindset of I am going to be the one that pushes myself and you know encourages myself and makes myself do those opportunities because I've I've never been upset with myself for saying yes to something. So, you know, in the instance when they asked me to do the boot camp, I mean, I was like. Really me, you, you know, and I know I'm great, and I know I use CAD CAM dentistry every every day, but you know there's this little piece of doubt in your head that's like, can I really do this? Am I really the person that's going to be able to help you know give you guys the best experience? and the fact that I'm even concerned about that means that I am because I want to make sure that everyone has a good experience and learns, and I am that person that can do that and so just working through those thoughts in my head that if you care that much that you're asking yourself these questions that means you are the right person for it and you need to say yes.
0: Yeah, I admire you for that. That's something I'm always always trying to work on is doing the uncomfortable thing because that's where you see the most growth and you've seemed to master that by now.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I don't think I've mastered I mean even this today <laughs> of you know, being on a podcast it's like you know, I was nervous about it, right? Mm-hmm. But again, get out of my own way and and just realize that I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to talk to you again and um, really look at the positives of it. But there's always nerves and things. And if you don't ever push yourself, you'll never get there.
0: Totally, totally agree. So for the last little bit here, I wanted to talk about your office that you just opened. So can you walk us through some of the first things that you had to start getting together when you were opening your office? Yeah,
1: so I think for anyone who doesn't know, I'm with Pacific Dental Service, a lot of the initial build out, all of that for you. Um, So that's really helpful. We have contracted fees to buy all of our equipment. So that's amazing. Um, the biggest thing was going through the contract initially. So I had the lawyer, of course. And then from there, it, the biggest issue, I think, in every dental practice is staff, right? Making sure you have the right staff in line so that you are able to be your most efficient self. And sometimes you spend more time with those people than you do with your family, So having the right staff on board that is going to be able to understand what your vision is for your practice and then carry that out is crucial. And I got incredibly blessed where I had, um, been given, um, I, I say gifted, uh, one of the most wonderful dental assistants of all times. Um, Lulu is my right hand lady and she is awesome. And so we just have a great relationship and a great understanding of each other. And we really make magic happen when it comes to dentistry. And then I initially had, when we first opened, had two receptionists that came from other offices. And it's always a little concerning when they come from other offices, because that means that those other offices weren't fighting to keep them, usually for other reasons, Um, usually because they have one foot out the door already or for whatever else. And so that was a huge struggle. Um, One of them actually ended up stealing from me initially, um, which was super disheartening um, as a new owner to be so trusting of everybody and then to be kind of hit in the face with that one. But, you know, it's all about about learning and and that's part of business, right? Um, And eventually, what ended up happening was um, I had an office manager that was in training and we pulled them out of training early. Um, in order to help facilitate the office. And he has done an amazing job. Um, Justin has been very helpful in building my practice to what it is today. And so having my core three has been crucial to my success. Um, And we all have very good communication with one another, which I think as an owner is one of the best skills you can have. I wish a year ago from now, I had been working on the communications been this last year. Because if anyone's ever been in a roommate situation, you know, where you may have a bad roommate or anything like that. And not even necessarily bad roommate, but maybe you and your roommate aren't seeing eye to eye, right? Sometimes if you don't have open communication, things can build up. And that happens in practices too. And so being able to have those conversations and especially me as the owner, And the leader of the practice doing that, it shows my staff how much I actually care about them, their well-being, their development, and wanting to maybe just redirect bad habits and things before they become really big deals.
0: So when it comes to staffing, like you're saying, have you found you prefer someone from a totally different whatever background of work that you train exactly how you like or has it been easier if the staff comes in with some background but then you might have to change certain habits.
1: Yeah, I will take somebody with a great attitude who's humble and hungry all day over somebody who you know thinks that they know everything already. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: At the end of the day, you can teach someone how to go over the financials with a patient. You can teach someone how to verify insurance. You cannot teach someone to be a good person, to care about others, and to want to, to push your practice to the next level. That's just something so innate. Um, so I will take someone who is excited to learn and yeah wants to be there all day long.
0: Would you say that staffing has been the biggest challenge you faced in your office with this past year? Is there something else that comes to mind that's been a big struggle?
1: Yes, I would say staffing is a huge one. But I also think another issue that I personally am just having to face is learning how to realize that I cannot make everybody happy, right? So I'm a people pleaser and I want to make everybody happy. And a lot of times some of these patients are unable to be happy themselves and that's really hard. And I take that very personally. Um, so I think that that has also been a, a big challenge for me, but I would say challenge, but also I guess kind of a blessing that I'm seeing it right now. And I see when there are situations when I've had maybe a patient who is just completely out of line. And I have dismissed them. And I think that has been one of the best things I've done for myself is it's given me peace of mind. You know, we all know those patients we see on our schedule and we just cringe a little because we know that we're about to have a bad day because they're going to make that happen for us, you know, and it's, it's 10% of your patients will cause 99% of your problems. So, I think that is a huge learning curve when you're starting your practice is really learning that, yes, I'm here to serve people and I'm here to help people and I want to, I'm going to give them one of the best dental experiences possible. However, there are also people who will take advantage of certain situations and those people may be better suited in other dental practices and I may not be the best provider for them. And I think that's really hard for me as someone who constantly pushes myself and wants to be the best. Sit back and realize that I might not be the best for somebody, and that's okay.
0: Well, thank you for that. I I feel like that's something I'll end up encountering once I get into patient care. If I'm since I'm only in my second year, I'm not directly treating patients yet, but I could imagine I'll have a similar struggle. So that's good advice. Do yeah. You have- <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Um, So before we wrap up, do you have any final advice or words of wisdom you want to share for dental students that are listening?
1: Yes. Um, So a few things. I think when you were going through dental school, I wish I had not worried so much about the grades, I guess. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't know if I wanted to specialize or not. However, I wish I had actually learned the material and really like taken it in rather than just trying to cram all the material in, trying to learn it for the exams. Right. We spend, we spend so much on, on dental school and it's this knowledge that we actually need to sit down and learn. Two years. I was just trying to get by, get, get the grades, get the A. The goal at the end of it should not be to get the A. It should be to actually learn the material so you can better take care of your patients. Um, and I think that's a huge one. The other thing would be start start learning and leaning into some leadership material now. There are plenty of books that you can you can read and listen to if that's how you do it. I listen to Audible books. I listen to podcasts, right? All of these things are at your disposal. You have We have the internet nowadays. We have everything at our disposal to be the best dentist that we want to be. You are your only limiting factor. So take that, take whatever you want and make sure you just have a set path of, hey, I'm going to read this many books a year on leadership and then this many for fun you know, for me personally, I listen to a dental podcast in the morning and then on my way home at night, I listen to something, you know, more fun for me, right. That keeps me up to date and allows me to make sure that I'm still staying up on a lot of, you know, the newest evidence that's out there and keeping up with the profession, but also gives me a little bit of leeway at the end of the day where it's like, Hey, you know, life isn't all about dentistry. Let's, Reel it back
0: a little bit. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for all of your great advice and sharing your story with us. I know it's going to help a lot of people. So I do really, really appreciate your time. But thank you. And is the best way for people to reach out to you if they do have any specific questions and to follow along with what you're doing just through Instagram? Yeah. So my Instagram page is Dr.
1: Shelby Tesser. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Follow me there. That's probably the best place possible. You can also always email me at, or, or DM me on Instagram. But um, my email is shelby.chester at packden.com. Um, and I'm really always help, like willing to help in whatever way I can. I love helping other people. I, as you know, I love mentoring. Um, and if you have any other further questions, I'm more than happy to answer.
0: Well, thank you so much.